Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. Here with another episode of Live with Greg, and I'm here with Miriam Burke, communications coach. That's right. That's me. All right. <laughs> so, to dive into it, what do you think is one of the primary habits you come across that in my field? Yeah, that <clears throat> creates communication breakdown. Let me wait before we do that. What would you define as communication breakdown? So, to explain that, I will actually answer your question first because okay. I think it will help. And I think so. The number one issue that I encounter in in communication, miscommunication, conflict, is the people is the appearance that communication actually happened. Right, so communication is a two-way road action. I talk, you listen, you talk, I listen. And when there's miscommunication, that means that you are talking and I'm really not listening. And what I'm doing is I'm creating these stories in my head. So I'm waiting, or maybe I'm not even waiting for certain words or certain body language coming from you. Um, but as soon as certain words are mentioned, I start creating a story in my head. Oh, there it goes again. I knew he was going to talk about that. Oh, and next he's going to say this, this, and that. It's, he's always like this. Like this, we create this communication. I'm not really listening to what you were saying. So I'm not really in the present moment. Now I'm going in my head, going back to something that happened in the past, creating a story that is happening in the present and that will take us to a future. And I already know what that's going to be. And that happens really fast. It's really, it's really amazing how this process happens in our brain. But that's exactly what happens. Um, when there's a communication breakdown, we are not listening to what the other person is saying. We are creating a story of what we believe the other person is saying. So then to answer your question, what is a communication breakdown? It's when communication is not really happening. There's one person speaking and the other person is creating a story of their own. Do you think trigger words are immediately put someone in their yeah. head and that's exactly all of a sudden what it their is. Story? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. So we as individuals, we are very different from one another, and that's due to two things. One is our biology, how we 
we're wired from the moment of conception, right? That we can't change. That's called our true essence, our core or natural essence, our true essence. And second is the environment, how we were raised, what people did around us, what kind of defense mechanisms we developed as we were growing up to protect ourselves, to make other people happy, to grow, develop, and thrive in the world that we were raised in. And we keep developing and strengthening those behaviors as we grow older. And then what happens is we start developing and picking up on triggers that we pick up from our conversation on remembering things from the past. So as I'm talking to you, you may move your body in the way that I remember you moved before in the past and created this kind of reaction from you or from me or created this kind of uh, piece of conversation and that body movement or some words that you might bring up take me back to the past remind me of what happened in the past, it triggers that communication breakdown. Exactly. So do you have tools like road signs where you're able to bring consciousness to, oh, I've gone into my head? Yes. Self-awareness. That's the first step. So (coughs) when I work with people, the first thing that we do is understand our personality type. So we do a personality typing test. I personally use the Enneagram. I used Myers-Briggs and DISC before, like 15 years ago. And when I came across the Enneagram, I just found that it was a tool that gave me more input into more aspects and areas of the human nature. So that's what I use. So I start there. And that gives me an indication of how you were wired, first and foremost. So I see the the biological, physiological part of your brain. I see how you were wired, first and foremost, because we can't change that. But from that piece of information, I now know what kinds of triggers you have and what kind of behaviors you usually develop. So then the second part is identifying those triggers. So we go through a process of where you're gonna be journaling for a while and it's on Google Docs, for instance, where you're gonna share that with me. But you learn to become aware of every time that someone says or does something or a place or a song or whatever it is that happens that triggers in you a change in your emotions and your physiology. So that's the first thing. So that's becoming aware of those changes. Because what happens when we have a trigger is you have this trigger and then you have the thoughts and then you have the emotions and then your body immediately responds physically, physiologically to those emotions. So that's your cue to picking up on your triggers. Does that make sense? To make sure that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if I notice like I have a pain in my right shoulder blade every time someone says the you know what I think's a Jewish slut. So Jew you know a, you know be a kike or something like that triggers me. So then I'm up in my head about all this chaos, you know, like yeah. I'm in a victim mode mm-hmm. or I'm 
and I'm like, oh, like my shoulder blade is hurting. Is that what happens to you? No. I'm just making up a... <laughs> yeah, so what usually you're not going to have about. a pain on your shoulder blade. So what happens what you, is, so what, okay, so let's say you were hearing this conversation, you're at a coffee shop or you're at a bus stop or what, wherever it is that you are, and you overhear this conversation and someone used those words. So what happens to you physiologically is a little bit different. You, you will tense up your face. Um, your no nostrils may flare up if you feel a little disgusted by it. Your stomach gets into a knot. Your breathing pattern changes. You may stop breathing for a moment, or you breathe shallower, or your breathing is shallow. Your heart beats faster or much slower. The palms of your hands start sweating, or you clench your hands, or you put your hands on your knees. Like It's usually some sort of tensing that happens somewhere in the body. And that comes from our fight or flight or freeze, you know, right, right, right. mode in the brain that gets us ready to fight, flight, or freeze. So it's usually that kind of uh, physiological uh, response that your body will have to the emotion that is going to come up out of you hearing those words. Have you been able to master being in that heat of a moment? and still communicate effectively? Not 100%. <laughs> work in progress. I would say that I'm like 65% there. Um, but this is the thing, Greg, is I could be better. And when I explode, is intentional. And that comes from not wanting to have a conversation beforehand, so I just let those emotions um, pile up within me, and it, you know, and it, it feels somewhat like a pressure cooker. Like you just have that pressure building up until at one point you explode and you just say something. I would do that to certain people because that's how I want them to get the information, but I. I don't do that to everybody, so I can control with other people. So my answer to you could be 100% of the times if I wanted to. But the fact of the matter is that we don't all want that all the time. Once you, once you have the awareness, okay, let me back up a little bit. Once you have the awareness of what your, what your triggers are, what your physiological response is, what feelings you're having at the moment, and what your um, automatic reactionary responses are, once you have all of that knowledge, then you can make a choice. So I got to the point where I have that knowledge. 100% of the time, someone will say something or I see something happening. For instance, I get triggered a lot in traffic. I don't yell. It's not, it's not that kind of stuff. It's the silly things of turning right and not giving a blinker, <laughs> not blinking to the right. I'm like, am I supposed to know that you're turning right? I mean, you should t blink to the right so I can slow down a little bit so I don't crash on you because I don't know how fast you're going to go or how slow you're going to go as you turn right. So those little things trigger me. And so this is what happens. The car is in front of me and it starts turning to the right and I'm like, couldn't you just put on the blinker? And I immediately feel it in my core and I'm feeling it right now. As I'm recalling that moment, I recall the, the emotion I get peeved. That's the emotion that I feel. And I feel it right here. 
right in the pit of my stomach and that goes up a little bit and then it tenses up my shoulder like I go like this just slightly I bring it up and then it tenses up on my neck and then as I'm holding the steering wheel I hold a little bit tighter if I'm sitting as a passenger I will probably just clench my hands a little bit so you see that's my physiological response because I know that, then I know what comes next. I know that my automatic reaction in the past was, can't you just put on the blinker? That, I would say that in the car. I would never yell because, you know, I come from Brazil. If you roll down your window and you yell, you never know when someone's going to come out of the car with a gun. So I don't do that. <laughs> but in the car, I used to say, can't you just put on the blinker? Now I think it in my head. Couldn't you just put on the blinker? I would slow down the car. I wouldn't be so close to you. But I have a choice. I can either say it out loud, or I can say it in my head, or I won't say it at all. I'm just like, yeah, he didn't put on the blinker. Do you think there's any value to, in that moment, doing like the peace mantra we were talking about before starting this? Like, and so instead of saying, can you just put on the blinker? Say, I send you. Yeah. Light and love. Absolutely. Is there value to that? There is a value to that. So this is the thing about mindfulness. Every time that we take the time to send loving kindness to someone, we are activating a different part of the brain. Right? We are activating the part of the brain that deals with love. If I'm raging, if I'm peeved, if I'm frustrated, if I'm annoyed, that's a different part of the brain. The brain, you don't fire two parts of the brain at the exact same time. You only fire one part at a time. So if I start sending loving kindness to someone, I will immediately stop being peeped. Immediately. Because now I'm firing up a different part of the brain. So that works 100% of the time. So it is important, but then to get there... You have to develop the habit of sending loving kindness to someone when you get peeved. Is there scientific data about the state of being peeved and things are starting to tense up and clench up? Is that physically damaging to a being? It is. If we do that many times, uh, the fact that we are just firing up one part of the brain and and that would be like the the mad uh, how would I say that like the mad collection of feelings right peeved frustrated annoyed angry um, when we only start firing up that part of the brain and we send that message to the body and the body starts tensing up the the body sends a lot of blood to only those parts of the body and the so it would be to the limbs it would be to the hands would be to the feet uh, it would be a lot to the heart because if you need to run then you are prepared then the lungs are prepared to breathe a lot too but then what happens to the other part of the body like everything kind of goes dormant that's not healthy we need to find balance in our physical body what about balance in the emotional body do you think that there are appropriate times for anger. Yeah, there is. There is. There is appropriate time for anger. There's appropriate time for grief. There's appropriate time for peeve. Um, I don't consider emotions good or bad, 
they are just information of how we feel at the moment. And I don't think that we should control how we feel. Uh, what I believe is that we need to control how we respond to how we feel. It's important to look at how we feel to understand how we are operating in the world. So there is, for me, there is validation to being angry. I mean, yeah, if someone does something to you that hurts you, that hurts your values deeply, you are going to be angry. You are being directly affected and hurt by someone else. It's okay to be angry. You should be. I mean, if you are not, then I don't know. Maybe you don't have a limbic system. <laughs> then you're a psychopath or something. I don't know. I mean, it's totally okay. And it's totally valid. And you can even just like pick up some plates and throw against the wall. Like do whatever you need to do to just release that for the moment. Don't punch anyone. Don't punch <laughs> the wall and hurt your hand. Like that's not healthy. We, we just need to find a balance into understanding what we feel, understanding why we feel that way, let ourselves go through that emotion so we can actually build the awareness of how that manifests physically in our bodies and then choose the response to that. It seems in our conversation about communication, emotions are starting to play a primary role in this conversation. Well, because there can be communication without emotions. So communication is an emotional action. Yeah. We have every single piece of information that enters into our brain passes through the limbic system, which is right here in the middle, which was the second brain to be developed as we evolved. And the limbic system is what is called the seat of the emotions or the emotional brain. Not, so every single piece of information that comes in through the five senses have an emotion attached to it. The emotion can be strong or can be very, very light, but every piece of information has an emotion. That makes me think, I imagine a stoic academic lecturing and how it's just an emotionless conversation. And, and part of the story in my mind is the student goes to sleep. I think it's, that happens. And it's interesting that you said that because my son just started high school, and he's going to a school in the city, so he has to take the bus. Actually, I'm driving him in the morning because he has early morning practice before the buses are running. But he came to me, um, I think it, it was either the fourth or fifth week of school. I picked him up from the bus stop, and his reaction was exactly like this. Oh, my God, it's cool. It's so fun. Why is that possible? And I'm like, what? It's like, my school is so fun. Like, my teachers make learning so much fun. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. I'm not there. He said, it's just the way that they talk to us, Mom. Like, they are part of that learning process. They don't just give us a lecture as if they've been doing this for 15 years and they are so damn tired of talking that way. That is where I want to get when people just stand there and they give a lecture in this very monotone way, it just became part of their routine. They are not even emotionally involved with that conversation. So that is not really even a conversation. They are just 
spitting out all of this knowledge that the students are supposed to acquire and there's no actually there is emotion to it and it could be boredom it could yeah there is emotion like I said there's an emotion in everything but it's not going to be an emotion that is going to make the students be engaged so when you were talking about those kinds of lectures, these people have been doing those lectures forever. They, have, they are not motivated in engaging the audience, so they are not attaching motivational emotions to the way that they talk. So it comes across as really bored, boring, because maybe they are bored as they are talking that way. I mean... If you're excited about something, it's going to come out in the way that you talk. Like, you use your hands, you use your body, you change the tone of voice. It goes up and down and, you know, it's it's gravel and it's, you know, acute. It's just like, it just happens. So when people talk like that and when people talk in very monotone ways, um, they are not really engaged in that conversation for the most part and this has been my experience right i mean there there might be people out there who just stop just talk in a very monotone way my experience has been every time that i talked to someone who spoke like that they were bored sorry <laughs> that's my experience again and my experience is not the rule it's just my experience in your experience right have you found that your relationships with your immediate family members mm -hmm. have grown closer, stronger, due to your continual practice of the knowledge you are gaining as a community. And developing more awareness right. and mindfulness to being in the present moment. Yes, it has. I have a very good relationship with my children, very close. They tell me everything. Um, and it doesn't even come across... You know, certain. My, my daughter just turned 13. My son is 14 and a half, so they are both teenagers. And none of them are ever embarrassed of talking about the changes that are happening in them, uh, to them and around them. Um, I have a very good relationship with my siblings. My, my parents passed away. I have a very good relationship with my husband. And I have a very good, intimate relationship with my closest friends. Intimate in a way that we can talk about anything and they know there's not going to be any judgment in my part. That doesn't mean that I'm 100% like that all the time. It's coming across like I'm totally in control of everything. <laughs> I'm the best person ever. No, I have, I have emotions. Um, I do explode with my kids. And I do. I, now I don't explode with my siblings anymore. Like I made a conscious decision to, I'm not, my siblings live in Brazil. I live here. I don't get to see them all the time. So when we have any interactions, I choose to totally forgo and oversee whatever it is that bothers me and pay attention to what else is good in that moment because I know I don't have those moments very often. That's another great question I thought of. Okay. All right. Um, if I were to say something now that triggered you, so mm -hmm. now you're upset. Yeah. Whose responsibility is it for that moment of you being upset? Is it my responsibility for what I said, or is it your responsibility for your, it's your emotion? So this is the thing about communication, though. Um, 
like I said, it's a, it's, it's a two-way road, right? So in communication, we have what you said, how you said it, with what intonation and whatever nonverbal cues you added to that information. So you have a part in it. But also, and most importantly, is how I receive it at that moment. And most of the times when we have, you know, when I'm talking to clients and they say to me, I have no idea what I told this person and totally blew up on me. They, for the most part, are being honest and they are being legit. They, they really didn't intend to cause a conflict. So the conflict was created during the, re the reception and the perception of the communication. So I have part in it. If you say something that triggers me and I get triggered and I react and we, there's a conflict right then and there, um, it, it's not a fault thing. That, it's, that's not the issue. Unless you know what my triggers are and you do that intentionally. <laughs> that's another story. But if it's an accident, you don't necessarily know what my triggers are. And sometimes I don't know if I'm not aware of my triggers. I don't know what they are either. So in answering your question, it's not, it's not a responsibility and it's not a fault. But if I were to put my finger on who is responsible, it would be me. I need to be able to control my responses. I can't control you and I can't control anyone else, but I can control myself. I have my emotions, and those will happen. And I can't really control what I feel, but I can control how I react or respond to those feelings. So that's my job to make sure that I respond in a way that um, is in alignment with how I feel, and that means... I'm not going to lie to you if you said something. If we are good friends, I would need to be honest with you. And I'm, I might say, oh, Greg, that was not nice. That was a low blow or that really hurt or, you know, something that shows you that you triggered me somehow. If we have no relationship whatsoever, if I'm never going to see you again, I'm going to let that by, go by. Okay, what about with your siblings? So now with my siblings, or how about with my kids? When they say something, okay. I sometimes explode because I want them to see exactly how I'm feeling. It is not the, smart, the smartest thing to do. And actually, my son came to me and he told me, he's like, Mom, all you have to do is just tell me that you're really, really peeved. And I said, but I say that all the time. And when you don't get it, then I explode so you can see exactly how I'm feeling. And that is okay, too. Right? I'm not spanking them. I'm not throwing anything at them. I'm not yelling like a crazy person. I do raise my voice. And so they, and my body language changes. So they know how I'm feeling. Well, if you speak Spanish. No, 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 no. That would be oh, Portuguese. That's my language, first language. Okay. Yeah. They're like, oh, mom's really pissed. Actually, that's, that's what I used to do. Yeah. I used to talk to my son in Portuguese when I was really mad at him, and he would say, oh, my mom is really mad. <laughs> She's speaking Portuguese now. <laughs> I don't do that now, um, but I will have some reactions at times when I'm really upset. And I think it's important for them to understand that, that it's okay. It's okay to have those reactions. It's just not okay to have 
some reactions that are to the extreme. How do you, and this I would say is even a general question, when you're on the receiving end mm -hmm. of anger and heat, so I hear you saying it's okay to be angry, like yeah. sometimes I blow up with my children. What about when you're on the receiving end of them blowing up at you? Yeah, I usually will feed that information back to them. I was Okay, so there, there are a couple of scenarios here. So let's say I say something to you, I don't know your triggers, so I say something and you really explode in anger or something and I'm gonna say oh my god Greg I am even my kids I would say Gus I'm so sorry I, I, I can see that you were really upset you were angry that was not my intention at all can we please start over I do that immediately I will say cause that was not my intention so starting over is a good tool yeah but say it I can see how you feel, like name that emotion, because actually I might be wrong. Like the other day I did say that, I'm like, oh my God, Gus, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to make you so angry. And he's like, mom, I'm not angry. I'm exhausted and I'm frustrated and you won't stop asking me questions, but I'm not angry. I'm exhausted. So right then and there, we had this communication of now I know how he feels. So now I can totally adapt and change and behave in a way that is going to be more aligned with how he feels. And I said, I'm so sorry, honey. I didn't know you were exhausted. I'm sorry I'm asking you all of these questions. I, I haven't seen you all day. I just, I just want to hear about your day. And he's like, can we just not talk? I'm exhausted. I need to eat and go to bed. We'll talk tomorrow in our drive. I'm like, okay, that's fine. It made me sad, Greg. Like, it... And I even teared up a little bit. He ate and he went to bed and I thought, oh my God, I don't have those moments with my son anymore like I used to have before. But I have to respect how he feels. And I need to give him space if that's what he needs at the moment. I'm learning that for myself. And that's what I'm hearing you saying. That part of healthy communication is in that moment that sadness is a hundred percent your responsibility. You don't need to interact with your son to heal that process, whatever. Yeah. And that's difficult. It is difficult. Um, and that sadness, that emotion is 100% valid. That's how I felt. And that's how you feel at times. And no one should say otherwise. And you don't need to tell yourself, you shouldn't feel this way. Or, oh, this is silly. Don't feel this way. No, I was sad. I teared up. I cleaned up my tear. I was in the kitchen and I was, you know, doing the dishes as he went to bed. I cleaned up my tears. And I'm like, that's sad. But I will find moments to talk to him. So I embraced my sadness. I didn't tell myself, oh, don't be silly. He's just exhausted. I didn't do that. I validated my feelings, but then I didn't do anything else. So I, I saw it coming, I embraced it, and then I let it go. Because at that moment, what else could I do? If I try to talk to him, I would make things worse. Yeah. If I talked myself out of it, I would make things worse for me because now I'm not validating something that is real, that is right there. So that would maybe come up in the middle of the night and wake me up. 
And maybe I would start creating stories. Oh my God, my son doesn't like me anymore. Oh my God, what's going on? Or what did I say that made him so upset at me? And those stories that we create are usually 99.9% wrong. But then we jump into that train and we just keep going faster and faster, just like the Japanese bullet train. <laughs> and it takes us to nowhere fast. <laughs> like, really. And that's not good. So embrace the sadness. Accept that you're feeling that way. There's nothing to be done at that moment. And then let it go. Have you had experience with a client that was in a state of manic or madness where there's obviously feelings and emotions well here so I guess I would ask in the realm of communication mm -hmm. just as earlier I asked what is the definition of communication breakdown what would you define as a manic state or a state of madness um so I'm pulling you know, recalling my clients, and there's actually one client that comes to mind immediately. Um, this client was having really hard time at the workplace and at home because this client was getting into a manic space. And I would define that as being um, fixated into what's going wrong and um, the right word is not coming to my mind right now. It's uh, when you go around and around and around like you are in a, in a hamster wheel, but you get fixated in everything that the, what the other person is doing, and you just can't get out of this hamster wheel of emotions and what the person did and what the person said, and, and you put yourself into, in a situation where you're right. And the more you think about the story, the, the more right you are, if that's even a correct English, <laughs> and the person is getting more and more wrong, and you, are, and you are increasing that story and just adding pieces of, oh my God, oh my God, now I remember that day when she said that or when he did that, oh, it probably is because of this. Oh, I can't believe he would do something like this. I can't believe she would do something like that to me. I have been nice to her. You get, oh, what is the word? When uh, Fixated? Yeah, it's another word for that. We need a thesaurus. Where's my phone? Um, it's when you are fixated on something and it, 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 you can't think of anything else. You're just thinking about that day in and day out. So this client came to me after being in this kind of professional relationship for three years. This client was ready to quit, but this client had a very good position. It was good financially and personally and professionally for this person's ego, it was really good. This person worked really hard to be where this person was. So the client came to me and said, I'm about to walk out. So this is my last shot. I need to figure out a way to have a better work relationship with this person and this person and this person and this is affecting my life at home so I need to also have a better relationship with my spouse because it's affecting everything um, we worked for a year on that and the first step that we did was really addressing the 
personality type and picking up on the triggers. And what I have to do when I work with a client like that, it's really walk backwards and assess and analyze your behavior, your words, not in a faulty kind of way, oh, it was your fault, but understanding that we all have a part in the communication. We all have a part in the outcome of the communication. We all have a part in the conflict. We all have a part in the success. We all have a part in the intimacy. Like We all have a part. Whether we respond with words, whether we respond with non-verbal communication, like gestures or sounds or body language, whether we don't respond altogether, whether we avoid, whether we fight, like whatever it is that we do, however way we respond to the information that was sent to us, we have a part in it. Because our response or what we do has a direct effect on the other person. So it's it, it's a cycle. So did this client at the end of the year, were they able to transform their relationship? So at the end of the year, um, they were having a better relationship. It was on the professional level still, but they were able to be in meetings together, work on projects together, agree to each other, and when they disagreed, they were able to explain why they disagreed. We, we went through a lot of tools such as creating pool of information, parking lot, when something doesn't work, let's put that information over there. I use post-its that you can see, I have post-its everywhere. So my clients use that too. Like when we when we do meetings, I think it's really important to move post like the information around. We are working again this year and I am happy to say they moved on into a personal level. Mm -hmm. They are now sharing personal information they even got into sharing very personal information about each other that they haven't in four years. So this is going to be the fifth year. So yes, we reached that point where professional relationship has been established and is good. So there's, and now on the on the personal level, they are rebuilding their trust, which will rebuild their rapport. And now they're going to become more collaborative, more cooperative, more creative, more effective. I mean, whatever products will come from these people is just going to be amazing from now on. You mentioned at the beginning you use an Enneagram. Yeah. Which I imagine that's how you started with this particular client. With, with everybody, yeah. But okay. So, with this particular well, client, yes. I don't yes. know what an Enneagram is. So an Enneagram is a personality typing tool. Um, it's, it's a test that you take, you answer for this particular test and the, 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 the company that I use, there's 147 questions, right? So there's a software and according to your answers, it takes you to different paths. And at the end, it gives you a roadmap of your personality type. The Enneagram in itself, it's a figure it's a circle with nine numbers on it. So the, the Enneagram says that we have nine main personality types, but the numbers are all connected by lines. So you have your main personality type, that is your true essence, that's how your brain was hardwired when you were born, that's what you were born with, 
And those traits are shown when we are babies. Like we see exactly how the, your personality type is through the babies. That's when you have, you have the purest of your essence is when you are babies. So like with this one client that we've been talking mm -hmm. about, even though this individual was in a manic yeah. state... which I still can't, can't remember the word I want to use. It will come up to me. Okay. <laughs> but you were able to see a purity of personality mm -hmm. that came through, even though there's this big, thick, manic... Yeah. Mm. I could... I could I could see that. I did. And I gotta say, she had built a wall so thick that it was like bulletproof. It took a long time for her to trust me and to share very personal, intimate details of her being, her nature. And when I say a long time, I mean, few sessions, because usually people open up to me the first time that we start talking, because they, they feel that there's distrust, they can talk to me. Um, there's a report that is built right then and there, too. But for her, it took few sessions for her to start opening up. But the test gives me a roadmap, because I've been using this test for 15, 20 years now, I've been using the Enneagram. So when you get the, the results of this test, so it tells me what Enneagram type you are. So for instance, I'm a two. The two is the giver, the helper. And my core essence is giving to everybody and loving everybody because everyone is worth of love, right? So that's my true essence. As we grow older, so me as a little girl, I was very loving. But the environment around me and the parents who surrounded me made me look at the world as if, okay, in order for me to be loved, I need to show these people that I love them and I need to convince them that they need me and they need my love. So I start, be, start creating and developing habits and behaviors as a little girl that, that becomes a people pleaser. The other side of the coin and the, the negative side of the coin is that when I don't, when I'm not praised for being an amazing, loving friend, I don't feel loved and I feel that you don't like me anymore. And oh my God, what do I have to do for you to like me? Because I just want to be loved I, and I want to be needed. That's really important to me. That's part of my essence. So I move from there. And though, and from that point on, we understand the triggers. So when you say something that affect my values, and in the sense of um, I'm important, I am valuable to. So I'm important to other people. I'm valuable to other people. I am a catalyst of change to other people. If you attack one of these values that I have, that triggers me. If you say that I don't do enough in the community or in the family, that triggers me because that goes against my essence. So you see how we identify the, the triggers? Right. 
seems like everyone wants to feel valued and important. Yes, we all do. Um, but our essence shows us that we see that those values and see the love, love through different lenses. For instance, if you are an eight in the Enneagram, that's the challenger and the protector. For the protector, their essence is, I show you my love by protecting you. I, as a two, I show you my love by giving love to you, right? By helping, by giving to people. The eight, by protecting. In order to be protective, I need to be strong and I need to fight. So the eight in the Enneagram is this feisty personality, strong, hot-headed, has no problem getting into conflict, has no problem talking loud and say and calling you out and calling you here. The eight is the one that during, let's say, a Thanksgiving meal, everyone is just loving and dovey and like all sharing what you're grateful for. He's gonna bring up a subject that it's highly controversial. <laughs> Donald Trump is a great president. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. He's so good. And people are like, what? Are you crazy? And then he just sits back. Why? Because now he's just waiting for the moment to protect, to come in and save the day. So those are the behaviors that are not necessarily good, right? So he created the conflict so he can come in and sweep and save everybody because his essence is to be in a protector. So if there's nothing happening and if he can't protect anyone, he doesn't feel he's worthy. If everyone is quiet, if no one needs my help or care or love, then I feel I'm not worthy. So at the bottom of everything is we have our essence and when nothing is happening in the world, that needs me to act according in alignment mm. with my essence, we all feel unworthy. So we need to identify what our essence is, what is our need to do, so we can understand our triggers. Because if we don't get that fulfilled, we always feel unworthy. If my friends don't need me for like a week, I feel unworthy. What do you do for yourself? So that is always the case. We never do stuff for ourselves. So I personally used to put myself last in the list. But I mean, in that moment, like let's say oh. there's a week going, like what do you do when you're in that state where it's been a week now, you're feeling unneeded, no one's there to receive your gifts. Okay, so when I am in a good frame of mind, I know that my friends are awesome and they are doing good and if they don't need me, I'm happy for them. This is when I'm in a healthy, yeah. <laughs> positive state of mind, which is not 100% of the time, mm -hmm. so I might tell you. If I'm in the average state of mind, which means that it fluctuates, I can be happy now, I can, when I'm moody, right, I change my mood, I will think, no one is contacting me. What the heck is going on? What did, did I say something wrong? What did I do? Uh, maybe I should reach out and make sure that everything is okay. I become a little bit paranoid. 
Paranoid is the word that I was looking for before for manic. Okay. Um, when I'm in the unhealthy frame of mind, then I start looking at myself feeling like I'm the worst person on earth because now my friends realize that I'm not that good and I'm not good for them. So they walked away from me. So I victimize myself. So that's being a two, right? Being the giver and being in an in a unhealthy state of mind. So my job as a human being is to figure out ways to bring me back into a healthy state of mind when I'm in the unhealthy state of mind. And just remind myself that even though my friends didn't contact me and they don't need me, that's actually a good sign. That means that they are okay and they are happy because if something was wrong, they would most definitely contact me because I'm the person that you call when you need something because I'm going to be right there, right? So if my friends didn't call me or my kids don't need me for a whole week, my job is to always remind myself that I've done my job. I've helped them when they need it. Right now they don't need me. They are okay. So how about I do something for myself? So this is, this is a work in progress, and I'm always working on myself for that because I do have to say, you know, um, when I'm in the unhealthy state of mind, usually I haven't exercised for a few days. Um, I'm not sleeping well. I haven't been sleeping well. So all of these factors will affect our state of mind. And if I want to be in a healthy state of mind, for the most part, I need to make sure that I exercise every day. I need to make sure that I go out every day and I feel the sun in my skin and I feel the breeze. I need to make sure to do my mindfulness minute. I need to make sure to meditate. I need to make sure to listen to some music and dance like I was in college. <laughs> I need to make sure that I tell people how much I love them. And I need to make sure to hug my kids and just ask them to tell me that they love me. So all of these little things fill my bucket. So when I... When I spend some time filling my bucket every day, I'm always going to be in a healthy state of mind. And when I'm in an unhealthy state of mind, I know I'm not taking care of myself. But I have all of this awareness, right? And I, I didn't always live like that. I didn't always know that this is, this is how I need to take care of myself. This is how it is with me. So if we were to go back, let's say 10 years ago, yeah, I think 10 years, no, my kid was three, let's say seven years ago when I was, let's say 2010, that's nine years ago, my mom passed away. Um, my son had a pneumonia, a very serious case. So I go to Brazil, my mom is dying, and then I get a call that my son has pneumonia. My mom dies, I need to help my dad who is so distraught because they've been married for 36 years. They've been together, they were each other's best friend, each other's lovers, so now he's distraught. Like how is his life gonna be without her? And I have to come back and he doesn't wanna come back with me so now I leave part of my heart there. Well, how am I gonna do this? And I get here, my son is so sick I need to take him to the hospital and he stays hospitalized for 15 days. So you can see how during that time I did not fill my bucket at all. But 
going through the crises, we just put on an armor and we just do what needs to be done. And I'm a mom and I stayed in the hospital for five days. I didn't come home for one minute until the doctor said, your son is out of danger. Because there's a lot that happened there. He was in much more serious condition than everyone thought. Um, so as soon as the doctor said, I hear air coming through the left lung. So now I know he's going to be okay. That was the first time that I came home and I took a shower. I showered there. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't stinky. <laughs> <laughs> they actually gave me some scrubs. They, they brought me a bunch of stuff. But, you know, I brought some. John brought me some clothes from home. And, um, but it was a month after that when, you know, my son now is good. He's getting healthy. My dad has been, I know that now he's been taken care of by my sister. She moved in with him and her family moved in with him. So now he has kids around. He has my sister, my brother-in-law. So I knew that dad would fill up some of the emptiness in his heart. So now I'm feeling okay. And then I crash, right? So I get, I get upset. I get frustrated. I get resentful because now I'm, I haven't filled up my bucket, and for months and months and months, I am extremely resentful of people around me. How come no one helps me? How come no one cleans up the kitchen for me? How come no one's make me some lunch? Like, and I'm looking for every little thing that is going to just fire up my resentment and put me into a victim mode and just complain about everyone around me. How come I'm such a good friend and a, such a good person and I always help everybody and no one thinks of taking care of me in a moment like this? Even though people are doing things for me. But I was in a such an unhealthy state of mind that I couldn't even think of anything else outside me being in that victim mode and resentful person just getting bitter and bitter can you imagine what a bad mom I was to my kids like how could I bring any happiness into their lives they were little Gus was five Ava was three and a half I have to play with them and I remember sitting down and playing Legos and stuff and thinking oh my god can you just be done already I don't want to do this this is ridiculous I have to read another book seriously just go to sleep that is a very unhealthy state of mind, and that's the state of mind that I was in. And it took me a long time to get out of there. I didn't have the right tools. At that moment, when all of that happened, I wasn't working with clients in the level that I'm working right now. I actually uh, was an attorney at the time, a divorce attorney, so I was in a very different environment, and things going happening around me were very different. Um, as a divorce attorney, I didn't think, I was also new, so I was a rookie. I didn't ever think to use personality type to help my clients. I, I didn't do that. I did that before when I was a community manager in the tech industry and I managed 150 translators. I was always into uh, personality typing and tools for communication. I did that a lot before I went into law school and became an attorney and then I became an attorney and I became another person and another professional like I should have brought all of those skills into that profession and I didn't so when my when I got into this very unhealthy state of mind I was a wreck I was I was not a nice person to be around looking back now I'm like I've 
felt sorry for myself. <laughs> Luckily, you know, later, years later, as I go into doing mediation and then jumping into conflict management coaching and then communication coaching and just personal performance and development, I went back to all of the skills and knowledge that I had before as a community manager, um, now improved with the knowledge of the law that I have, with you know all of my mediator training, all of those two years in mediation, um, and neurolinguistics programming, learning how to hack the brain so we can create new neural pathways, new, neuro, new uh, habits and routines very quickly. Then I start looking at myself and I'm like, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to behave this way. I don't want to be that person. Is there still a ghost of that person that comes up now and then and you can recognize it? So it's like a road sign and you go, oh, I know you. Yeah. You know. The, the resentful person, the resentful ghost comes from time to time. Um, it's very specific, though, and it only comes with two or three people in my life right now. Seriously. I have exercised that ghost so well <laughs> that it's really, really rare that I feel resentful of someone. But there are still three people in my life that I still feel resentful for. And I'm going to tell you why that still happens. It's because I have not had the crucial, difficult conversation that I need to have with them. And I need to cut them off of my life completely. And I haven't... I haven't had the courage to do that yet. Do you think it's possible that instead of cutting them off from your life completely, you can communicate with them and say, this is what I need for our relationship to continue? Like from what you've told me today, I would say that potentially you would say, I need to hear from you now and then mm -hmm. that what I'm giving to you is valued by you. Yes. So... Two of these people, yes, although I think I've been so busy that I really don't care on having any kind of relationship with them right now, so it's okay being lukewarm. And one person I really don't want to have in my life anymore. Like, I just don't. Um, I really worked in myself and went through all the feelings that I have for this person, and I really don't have many anymore it doesn't serve me any good and I don't think I serve this person any good anymore so I really need with this particular person I really want cut I want to just cut ties all together and I don't know why I can bring myself to do that but I, I haven't done it yet with the other two I should come and say hey this is what happened this is how I felt hurt this is how I felt resentful at the time. It's much lighter now, but from time to time, when this happens, it brings me back to that place, and I'm still resentful. And, you know, maybe I do know, and maybe I don't want to talk about it now, but for whatever reason, I'm not having those conversations. But these are the only three people in my life right now. And I did cut recently, I cut ties with a person, and it was like that, it was so easy. Hmm. I just said, 
um, this friendship doesn't work for me anymore. It was great while it lasts. Um, I really just want us to go separate ways. If I'll see you on the street, I'm going to be very polite and friendly. Don't worry, I'm never going to be um, aggressive or negative towards you. I just, our, our time together is over. It, it was so easy for me to do that that way. And I don't know with these people, it's just not. And then with other people, I go to them all the time and I'm like, hey, are we okay? <laughs> are we good? Because I'm feeling not loved. Um, and that is easy for me to do that too. Also because I, I got to know these people so well. And people that I just don't care, then I just don't have any emotions like that at all. Like I, if I really don't care about you in the sense that you're not part of my life, you're not inputting anything in my life, I'm not inputting anything in yours, um, we just have this from time to time interactions, I'm going to be totally friendly with you and I'm going to be polite, but I'm not going to be affazed or affected by what you say or do at all. Like I just, I learned, you, I wasn't always like that. People really bothered me before. So what do you think the difference is from those people and like your siblings? And then and siblings, like I have siblings. Mm -hmm. and. I love them and they love me. It seems it's a relationship I'm willing to kind of go through the grind with, you know, go through like, oh, that wasn't great. Well, we'll just let that one slide because mm -hmm. I love you. Yeah. And I'd rather love you and get into it. Well, they are in our lives, right? They, they are don't our siblings. Have to be, though. They don't have to be, but would you feel good if no, they're not? not so that's the thing. Siblings. Because they are going to be in your life until one of you dies, mm -hmm. my siblings are going to be in my life until one of us dies. So we, we put in more effort into making that work. Now, people who we know may not be in our lives for a long time, we don't care as much, so we don't need to put that much energy into it. Because there's a lot going on in our lives, and we, we just have a certain amount of energy per day to put out until we start burning the candle, right, on both ends. All right, so the three people that you mentioned where you believe mm -hmm. it would be wise if they were just no longer a part of your life. Yeah. So one, it's not really that close or important in my life at all. It doesn't make a dent at all in my life. So that one is easy to cut. But for whatever reason, I haven't said anything. I think that I'm avoiding and just hoping that the person will just walk away mm -hmm. so I don't have to spend any energy on that. But I should just cut. The second person is someone who I actually really cared for a long time. So it was really important to me. Our friendship was really important to me. And things just change in life. We change. We evolve. We meet new people. And that's how it goes. And I accept that. But I got resentful of how you went down. You could have been a little bit smoother, according to my perspective. So that one is a little bit more difficult because I know that this other person doesn't see the situation how I see it. Now, the third person is someone who is very much in my life. Like, it's, it's active and it's a part of my life. 
and I don't want it to be anymore. So that makes it more difficult. There's a lot of history there. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of people involved. That's what I wonder if this may be a trigger word, but you know, the semantics may not match. But ostracizing mm -hmm. is there potentially a different choice that could happen through communication? So this person can remain in your life and the relationship is yeah. transformed. Kind of like your client that you mentioned earlier who now is having mm -hmm. a personal relationship in what was four years ago a So, war. Greg, this is the thing. I didn't want to say that because then it comes across like I'm a mean person. <laughs> I just don't want any of these people in my life, period. There you go. So you're That's clear. the bottom line. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay to say... The truth is, if I wanted, I would have had the conversations. Because, yes, I would do the work in myself, um, and I would do the work in our relationship so we could have some level of relationship. Me, myself, and I right now want zero level of relationship with these three people. Zero. I want nothing to do with them anymore. That's the truth, and that's why I'm not doing any work on it. And I'm avoiding it because two of the conversations are going to be very emotional, and they are going to require a lot of my emotional energy. And I'm really investing my energy into something else right now. I'm growing my business, and I'm really investing in my relationship with my kids who I've seen very, very little now, my eighth grade daughter, who all she cares about is her friends, my high school you know, freshman son who is in the city and he comes home at 8.30. Like, so I drive him at 5.15 every morning and I see him at 8.30. You know, he still wants to be in my life. He still wants to hang out with me, contrary to my daughter. But so like, I... I I'm investing my energy right now, at least for all these months in my business, which is growing and it's growing well, and I'm, I'm being helping so many people, I'm reaching so many people, I'm doing an amazing work that makes me feel so fulfilled and so happy and just like another person that I touched, another relationship that I helped improve. That is important to me and I'm putting all my energy into that. I'm also putting my energy into just living the life, the schedule of my kids and being with them as much as, as I can. And I'm also putting energy into my health, my physical, my mental, my spiritual health. And that to me is all I can give. So I don't want to give any, and I don't want to put any energy into dealing with these people right now. So that's the truth. So the, uh, well, here's what I wonder is, are these three people like a slow leak in a tire that if it's not addressed you're going to have a flat tire or are they truly just non-issues right now? Well, they are a leak in a tire because they are still there. No matter what I say they, there's a reason why I'm, I'm avoiding it. I'm avoiding dealing with them. Right. And if, if I'm avoiding it's because there are some emotions in it. Yeah. And I just don't want to deal with them right now. Even when I say, you know, I there's this one person, I couldn't care less of cutting her off my life. I have no emotions for her. That's not true. 
because if this was true, I would have said, hey, right. we had a great run like I did before. Sayonara. I wouldn't even come up. Wouldn't even be a no. Wow, so, good luck <laughs> I know, right? I will handle them. This is the thing, though. I'm not going to avoid forever. I am, like I said, I and I'm doing all of this with a lot of awareness. I'm putting my energy into these three things right now, which are really important to me. And I want to just create momentum and just throw them in the train and let it go. But eventually I will have to address these relationships because actually it's not even healthy what I'm doing because from time to time that comes up in my mind and I think about that and how are these people feeling, you know, that I'm not present there. So it has, they have their emotions too. With any one of these three individuals, if their life ended right now, would you have any regret that you didn't deal with this? Oh my God, Greg, don't ask that. That's a hard question, yes. You would? Mm-hmm. Well, then I encourage you to... There you go. There you were telling the communications coach to go have the communication she needs to have. You know, what I've learned in life is sometimes uh, a letter is a wonderful way to communicate a hard communication because... It allows me to write something and go, oh, wait, I don't really want to say that. It also allows the person who's reading it to sit with it before they engage with me. That is true. And two of those people, I can actually just do that. I can send them a note. That one person has to be face-to-face. And you're right. Like, now that you ask this question... um, now that's going to be weighing so heavy on me, Greg. And I didn't want to have to think about that right now. Seriously, why did you bring that up? You both. <laughs> why do you, you pose the question? Seriously? Well, I guess it's time. <laughs> that's going to wake me up in the middle of the night. Well, if you write the letters, you can write the Okay, I will write today. the letters today. I will write both letters today. Yeah. And I will give myself a date to talk to the other person. It's okay, all right, those are my to-do lists for to-dos for today. They are very important. Yes, thank you. See? <laughs> Cheers to that. Appreciate it. I really do. It's living and learning. You see why I love what I do? I got to tell you, I always learn at least one thing when I'm engaging with my clients. You are not my client, but every time that I have an interaction with someone, I always learn something new and valuable to my life. So thank you for that. That's actually really important because as I'm avoiding these kinds of conversations, there is energy that I'm putting into it, right? Remember I said it's lukewarm, which means the fire is still on. It's not off. Even though it's simmering, the fire is still on. So that means, it just gets me thinking now, that... I don't have one-third energy into my business, one-third energy into my kids, and one-third energy into myself. Right. So where am I depleting myself from? Where am I taking that from to maintain those relationships in lukewarm? It's probably myself. So I'm not giving myself all the energy that I could give, which now I can see exactly. I'm not exercising every day, and I'm not meditating every day. So there, because I need to put energy into other things. 
That is awesome. Actually, I'm going to use that in my coaching too. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that question. That is such a powerful question. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to quiet down. Was there anything else? No, I think that's it. What about you? Are you having the conversations you need to have? So. Yeah. Are you saying everything you need to say? If you die tomorrow, if that those people die good. tomorrow, you'll be good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, there's no one in my life that if any one of us passed away right now, I'd have any regrets with. That's good. And what are you doing for yourself? Keeping the gun in the drawer. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm not gonna shoot myself today. <laughs> No. <laughs> How about if we take the gun out and just give it to the police, give it away and find something else? Working on it. You're right. All right. That's good. This is awesome. I know. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much.